Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. This is the Pitchwork Review. I'm Pooja Patel, the Editor-in-Chief. Today we're getting into something that music fans can't stop talking about, which is the insane and rising costs of concert tickets. We're talking about the big tours from major artists at huge venues that are largely priced by Ticketmaster. Maybe you've experienced this frustration yourself while looking for Bruce Springsteen tickets or being priced out of Beyonce or endlessly refreshing your browser for Taylor Swift seats. Here with me to dissect why ticket prices have become so outrageous and to dive into the complicated dynamics of going to see your favorite artists are Jill Mapes and Mark Hogan. Welcome, friends. Hi. Thanks for having us on to talk about such a frustrating topic. (laughs) Truly. Yes. Thank you, Pooja. Let me start with asking, have you experienced this in the last year or two? Have you been stuck in the kind of like endless wheel on the Ticketmaster refresh page or like have you tried to get tickets to Taylor Swift for your kids perhaps you know like have you <laughs> yes my non-existent well kids. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at Mark for that no, one but... <laughs> uh, yeah no they, they don't fall quite the right age group or whatever but yeah no I mean I I mean I've, I've been annoyed by Ticketmaster fees for you know a long time but I, I mainly try to go to smaller shows. I mean, I half of me is like, this is completely ridiculous. Like, why would anybody mm-hmm. pay these amounts? But then the other part of me was kind of like, ooh, you know, maybe a Wednesday night with Beyonce in Kansas City would have some cheaper seats. We, we can get there. But yeah, I wanted Beyonce tickets. And I was just stressed out trying to make a game plan. Yeah. Like, should I go in Pittsburgh near where I'm from? It's easier. There's like, it's a later presale. I just got stressed out by it. It was honestly like, I can't keep track of it. And so many people are talking about it that this is the conversation that I keep having with like my dental hygienist Uh and like people that are not deep into this Uh that are like, what's going on? I have a teenager now and they want these tickets and I have to come up with like a five point strategy with other parents to, to get these tickets and spend hundreds of dollars and all of this stuff that it's just everywhere. Not to go off on a ramp, but it's everywhere. No, I mean, I feel like there have been multiple occasions where someone that I know, usually a parent, not to put our own Amy Phillips on blast, um, but someone I know who has been like at 11 a.m., I might be MIA for an hour because I signed up for the pre sale for this tour and at 11 a.m. the pre-sale goes live and so I need to not be on a Zoom meeting because I need to be (laughs) spending the next 45 minutes hitting refresh on this page. I'm imagining Amy's game face in a meeting or whatever Uh (laughs) while trying to be like... (laughs) 
taking <laughs> time out of work to try to get tickets to see a band. <laughs> so I'm I'm excited to talk about this because I think there are so many things at play. I think the one clear tour that brought this all to the forefront of the conversation was the Taylor Swift era's tour. And so much has happened around that tour in particular. Mark, could you give us a quick little debrief? Sure. Yeah. I mean, basically, late last year, um, the tickets went on sale for a presale to her, quote unquote, verified fans, people who had already signed up through Ticketmaster to be you know, officially Taylor Swift's fans. And just it was chaos. I mean, she ended up, I think, selling uh, the most tickets in one day ever, um, which is super impressive. But her fans were waiting in line for hours. They couldn't get tickets. When they got through, the tickets were just, some of them were you know, ludicrously expensive. And they were faced with this decision of like, well, I've already wasted, you know, already spent all this time, uh, sunk this sunk this time into it. I guess I have to buy this or else lose out. Um, and um, they ended up like delaying the official on sale due to all of this. Uh, there's just conflicting statements like Ticketmaster put out one blog post that they like later deleted and everybody was pointing fingers. One of the things that they blame is these bots, which is this automated software that resellers can use to buy up lots of tickets before regular fans, which I'm not quite sure how the bots were in there when it was already supposed to be these verified fans. Like several years ago, we were talking about this and it was like verified fan. That should mm-hmm. be one way of avoiding these bots. And like also the bots are like they've already been outlawed. Like you know, Congress already outlawed them. You know, Obama, I think, signed the law. So it's like mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it's like, how is this not fixed? So when when you have a fan base as devoted and you know and and who uh, talk to each other as much as Swifties, I mean, they all were well aware that this was not right, and that made you know even Washington, even the government, start paying attention and and uh, and start debating this. So yeah, it really thrust it into the the limelight. Both of you have been talking about and looking into the rising cost of ticket prices across. It's not just the most famous people in the world, though they obviously lead the charge here. Could you give some examples of other artists that you've seen this kind of chaotic, frustrating thing happen with? Yeah, I mean, one thing that stuck out to me is some of the conversations around Bruce Springsteen tickets, specifically the very well-known fanzine Backstreets. The folks there said they were not going to support the tour and go because the prices had gotten out of control. Like they ended the fanzine, actually. Like, mm-hmm. in Wait, the they, I didn't yeah. realize mm-hmm. that yeah. they ended Backstreets. Wow, that is. Pardon me there. That is wild. Um, but Bruce is the everyman. He's like the New Jersey everyman. Yeah. yeah. And part of what is going on with Bruce tickets is the use of dynamic pricing, mm-hmm. which Mark, I think of you as a bit of an expert on this sort of airline style scheme. Right. Yeah. Or it's like when you're trying to get, you know, an Uber after Pitchfork Festival and suddenly it costs a lot more. Like it's, it's you know, it's like that surge pricing thing where they use these algorithms to figure out, you know, real time supply and demand. And mm-hmm. um, that really ends up costing you a lot more. And so, yeah, I mean, Bruce gave uh, an interview to Rolling Stone and his, his manager, John Landau, you know, famous, legendary manager and former you know, music writer, um, also talked about this. And Bruce always has charged a little bit less than his peers. And um, this time he said, hey, let's kind of charge what, what, my, what my peers are charging. And I think a lot of the thinking behind uh, dynamic pricing for artists is that somebody's getting that money and that was the resellers. Mm-hmm. And so, like, why not have the artist actually 
keep that money. And I, I will say, so yeah, so part of what made uh, Backstreet so upset was that fans were seeing tickets going for like $5,000. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, we did talk to somebody, which we can discuss later, who got super cheap tickets. But like John Landau, the, the uh, Bruce's manager, said, um, you know, that, hey, like in reality, most of the tickets are like 200 bucks. And um, our research found that the average ticket price for, for Springsteen on the primary market anyway, you know, through Ticketmaster was sort of more in that 200 zone. So mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, it's Bruce. He's the blue collar guy. That's his whole thing. Right. One of the things that was really illuminating in some of the research that Mark and I did for a piece that is called The Price of Pop Fandom is that this level that Bruce is getting to or Taylor is getting to, there are comparable people that are charging that that you would be very surprised. Like Morgan Wallen, mm-hmm. $171 is the average box office ticket price for his tour. Fish is over $200. Mm-hmm. You know, Taylor is on average $253. Beyonce, when you look at these stats, is supposedly $83. Uh-huh. There is a wider range of tickets maybe. there. There's a lot of things going on here. I remember Lizzo was at 88 on average. So there's a lot of range here, and I think that the problem overall is – it's not just the primary market. It's not just what's being set by the artists or their teams or whatever. Obviously, Beyonce Renaissance Tour, she was getting a lot of heat to keep those prices down considering this album is about queer folks of color and their communities and how do we make this art accessible for the people that it is aimed at. Mm-hmm. And to, to say, if you look at the secondary market, if you look at resellers, Beyonce tickets for this tour are almost $1,100. So you get like there's more inflation on the resale market when you look at some of these stats as well from the artist's last tour. The last Beyonce tour was mm-hmm. $254 on the resale market average. Okay, can you explain this a little bit for me? So when you say the average ticket price for Lizzo is 88. Does that mean before Ticketmaster fees and other service charges? Yes, this is purely so our data comes from uh for the primary market like the box office price comes from Polestar which mm-hmm. is like the billboard of the touring industry it is the measure by which venues report mm-hmm. what the sales are and then is it fair to say that that number also when you're saying to use the Lizzo example again of Lizzo being at $88 on average that is across every single performance in the world or in the country? Those were worldwide numbers. I mean, it depends where they're performing. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this might be too deep in the weeds. We were like, why is Bad Bunny one of the top ones in their mid-year list? He's not on tour. But um, right. it was like in November and December, he played like six different gigs that some, some of them might have been festivals, you know, in, in South America or whatever. And he grossed so much in his ticket sales that that's what their numbers said. Yeah, I think what, what I'm trying to um, figure out is if we have the problem if, as Beyonce says, America has a problem (laughs) and if the inflated ticket pricing hits um, this country more than it does elsewhere. It seems like it based on Mm -hmm. anecdotal evidence about some of these big tours uh, that we've been hearing, like the number of folks that we know uh, who went to Sweden to see Beyonce Renaissance right. tour kickoff yeah. because there are no fees in Sweden. There are guardrails around these things. 
our lovely coworker Sam Sadomsky went to London to see Bruce. He sees Bruce everywhere, though. So I don't he know. He sees Bruce everywhere. This is the but... fourth time he's seen Bruce this year. Too. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't think it was a, a cost thing. <laughs> no, but but Europe, I, I there's this is like becoming a more common story of people going to Europe to see shows. That the travel and everything, if you're going to really splurge, is potentially doable. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starts in Dea, at the center of a tennis triangle, and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people and a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. I want to touch on something that you mentioned when you were talking about just like the Bruce situation of like, why wouldn't I charge more given these trying times? So... I feel like this conversation has been vaulted into the limelight in the last year and a half, two years. But is this new? And also, why is this feeling so tough right now? Like, what is going into us feeling the weight of how heavy these ticket prices are? Honestly, it's really um, staggering to me to think about the fact that the average face value ticket price like year to date is almost $80. And in 2019, it was almost $70. And when you consider the face value of a concert ticket in the year 2000, it was 35 bucks, mm-hmm. which is almost $60. So you're talking about... After inflation, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after inflation. So you're talking about like almost 20 years of, of jumps in four years, in this four years where people weren't performing for part of it. We know that this is the big way people make money in this industry. So I think there is a little bit of that thing that's going around in industries that took a hit during the pandemic of like, we got to make up the margin somewhere. And, and there mm-hmm. are the costs. I mean, it seems like, you know, when you, when yeah. you talk to the artists who aren't, you know, Beyonce or Taylor Swift, I mean, it's like, this is where they used to make money. Now they're like, lucky if they break even, which is why a lot of, you know, tours, um, you know, last year were, again, not for these top, you know, pop stars, but a lot of the mid-range kind of, you know, tours that Pitchfork covers, was it Santa Gold, I think, who put out a really eloquent, um, you know, letter about why she had to cancel, you know, where Animal Collective scrapped some European shows. It's just like, it's how they used to make their money, and now they can't even break even sometimes. The cost of touring is so excessive. I mean, we cover that all the time on the site, just with inflation and everything else, and paying people fairly. I feel like that is another thing that really came to light in the pandemic, where were people saying, you should pay me what I'm worth. Yeah, I feel like everything has skyrocketed. At the same time, though, I want to say that like there's the part of the price that is factored into the ticket price and then there is the secondary market problem mm-hmm. and the the fees problem. Right, let's talk about yeah. it cuz the the reason that everyone was talking about Taylor was that it in part prompted this kind of government recognition of a problem and this has happened before, right? And it will happen again because there are 
are real antitrust concerns around the merging of Ticketmaster and Live Nation. Let's talk about that. There are committees popping up. There was an investigation that's ongoing, a Senate Judiciary Committee. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so yeah, back in um, you know 2010, you had um, Ticketmaster, which is the world's biggest seller of tickets, merge with Live Nation, which which is the, the world's biggest um, concert promoter. They're also, um, I think, the biggest um, artist management company. So they have their fingers in all these pies. These companies combined, and I mean, and there was some opposition to that, but it it happened. So. Now they're all the same companies, so the, the giant ticket seller, the giant owner of venues, basically, and the giant um, you know manager of artists. And so even if you know wink wink nudge nudge, you know the the people at Live Nation don't say, oh, if you have our artists, you have to work with Ticketmaster because that would be an explicit violation, which they have occasionally run into um, you know some some explicit violations. Um, you know even if they don't do that. Like the perception, of course, is still there that, oh, I, if I want to book Live Nation artists for my arena, I'm going to need to work with Ticketmaster. And hey, you know, the arena might actually be owned by Live Nation anyway. So it's not even a, mm-hmm. there's not even a question. <laughs> um, so and then, yeah, after the, the the focus on, you know, the Taylor Swift hullabaloo, yeah, the uh, the Department of Justice was like, OK, let's take a look at once again for, for antitrust violations. Uh, and, you know, the Senate Judiciary Committee um, had a whole hearing with, you know, trying to find some answers, which are are still uh, in the works, it seems like. Mark, one of your pieces talks about the consumer groups that are advocating slash lobbying. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that was, we, on the one hand, we talked to the the executive director of the National Association uh, of Ticket Brokers, which is like, Scalping boss, come on, <laughs> he, he, big he, boss of scalping. He doesn't like that word, which I don't. I don't blame him. I know, it's, it's but a bad, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's bad for other reasons besides it, like yeah. hurting the feelings of resellers. But like he was, no, he's a smart guy, and he was saying, you know, his his viewpoints. But ticket resellers, they're they're a big business now, and so they have this trade group, you know, that like is uh, representing their interests in Washington and, and has been since the '90s. And so I talked to this person, and he was saying all the things that like make sense if you're a professional reseller of tickets, but like maybe don't make sense to us. Well, his perspective was that like he was part of the solution. Right, right. And yeah. <laughs> look, I mean, it's not how maybe we see the world, but you can imagine, you know, he, one of the, his things is like, well, I should be able to, uh, what was it? Like, it was like something about a car, Jill. He was like, I should, like, yeah. nobody should be able to tell me that I can't sell my car. And so he's comparing like a... Can you imagine buying a car and them telling you that you there's a minimum you have to sell it at? Or like... Is basically his point. Or like a maximum, just like, I think, too. Yeah, like, or yeah, yeah, like just like, can you imagine them like bogarting and controlling how you sell something that you bought? Mm-hmm. There's that kind of perspective of these these ticket resellers who are not just you know guys on the corner you know saying you know, do you have any tickets to sell or you want you want to buy tickets it's people who you know they know how to do this online and they do it for a living and they're and they're good at it and they're organized. It's true, but it's funny that the way that they try to find a common enemy. That's what I find mm-hmm. most striking about some of what's going on. And I did find in this conversation his point about holdbacks to be really interesting, um, that holdbacks are, are, um, something that artists or ticket, ticket sites like Ticketmaster, like primary sites can do with, um, initial on sales where they don't release all the tickets and it creates more of a frenzy. And then if people get them, they're probably going to pay a lot of money Mm -hmm. (laughs) because there's a less of an inventory Mm -hmm. and all that. So it, 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 
fucks with the market when you have yeah, it all changes these little the supply demand change. Yeah, yeah, and his whole point is that this should be transparent because it would help all of us. So I, I think that the ticket broker boss daddy is sort of <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's like the scarcity messaging to create this false sense of urgency right. that then makes everyone panicked and and just be like, I'll figure it out later. I'm going to throw down $700 right. or whatever it might be for Beyonce or whatever. Yeah. The Ticket Resellers Group, I mean, they have an initiative called Protect Ticket Rights, and they're real transparent on their website that is from the NATB, which is the National Association of Ticket Brokers. Um, and they and some other groups, some other consumer advocacy groups, um, unveiled something earlier this year called a Ticket Buyer Bill of Rights, which, you know, sounds pretty good, right? <laughs> and and um, <laughs> but some of, like, one of the, but they're a big thing, again, is the stuff that is arguably good for consumers, but, like, it's certainly good if your job is, like, reselling tickets. Like, one of their main things is that it should be guaranteed that you can do whatever you want with your ticket just like it's a car and again like maybe if I'm a fan of a certain artist like okay maybe you can't make it um, but you could exchange it at face value on a, on a, a fan-to-fan exchange um, which is what Pearl Jam often does um, rather than just it becoming this capitalistic you know free-for-all so that's what this group wants and then basically when you go through all of the groups that are backing this ticket buyer bill of rights as consumer advocacy groups and saying it's good for fans they all happen to take money, um, whether it's a little or a lot, uh, from resellers like StubHub. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of these groups was like founded by StubHub when StubHub was part of eBay. Um, <laughs> at the same time, there's other initiatives like an initiative called uh, Fix the Ticks that is being put forward by you know, the same folks who were fighting to save independent venues um, during the pandemic. And that one is focusing more on, this is their words, you know, restricting predatory reseller markups, which like hmm, you know, that would seem like a consumer-friendly thing, but somehow these reseller-backed groups are not in favor of restricting predatory reseller markups. You know, and they want to promote these face-value fan-to-fan exchanges as well, which seem like some solutions that can, like, help it. Because, yeah, if you end up being sick and you can't get a babysitter, you don't want to be forced to go to a concert, but, like... Right, it's like the insurance policy that Ticketmaster offers for you to pay right, them yeah. for. <laughs> yeah, but just is there a way that we can get it so that, like, you know, if, if fans and artists don't want to be part of this, like, hyper-capitalistic, you know, dystopia, mm-hmm. like, can we can we please avoid that? And I think that, like, some of those proposals look like they might be pointing toward, you know, a, a possibly better future. There is another uh, chart that is part of this piece that is reflective of kind of how the secondary market and the ticketing fees and everything can escalate a price to kind of outrageous places. Um, Jill, can you run through some of the most insane tickets that you came across? Well, some of the highest prices. Yeah. Yeah. There were, there were both um, surprisingly high and surprisingly low numbers. And uh, I'm going to start with the high because some of them are really surprising. Um, But it's like, these are the highest possible like found. This isn't an average. And this is, keep in mind, this is resale. So this is like, you're looking at like a Dave Matthews band ticket that's almost $13,000 or Metallica that's $35,000. Oh Somebody out there may be considered buying a $42,000 Morgan Wallen ticket. That's <laughs> insane. And are these prices that have been suggested by the secondary market entity, whatever it was, or is this something that like a transaction was initiated 
in some way. I think way. this is what, what they were being offered for. Like, so like on, like on, it's like on July 10th, you know, if like the highest price out there for a, a Taylor Swift ticket was, you know, $200,000 or that. Oh kind of my thing. God. Yeah. Which, which is, is real. which is real. Insane. <laughs> like I could buy a house in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania <laughs> or buy one ticket on vivid seats right. on whatever date. <laughs> like I, Mark, your next mission is to find the person who is selling the Taylor Swift ticket for $200,000 because I hope it's some 17-year-old who is like, this will pay for college. Right, you know? right. No, it's no not. I'm sure it's not. It's I want to befriend them and have them buy things for me. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, that's crazy. I don't understand it. Yeah, can I get them to be my benefactor? Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, is there a way to get some of the cheaper tickets that you yes. found. Let's uh, talk about that too, a little bright spot. Yeah, I was so charmed by this interview that Mark did with <laughs> an angsty Bruce Springsteen fan. I mean, and and let's let's okay, to be to be fair to him, I mean, he probably wouldn't even call himself a Bruce Springsteen fan. Like that's right, part of the right. fun He's of this guy. He's just a music fan. He's a music fan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, so basically, I, I had heard that there were tickets like going for as little as like five dollars for some Bruce Springsteen shows in some markets, and uh, started poking around and um, you know found someone in, in Oklahoma who said they got tickets for seventeen bucks. So for for Springsteen, it was like side of stage view, and yeah, he found them. He went on Twitter all intentionally trying to be like, look at how obnoxious <laughs> these prices are, and then he was searching and he was just like, oh, actually these aren't bad. Like maybe I should go and take my mom. You know, and uh, so we found these tickets for 17 bucks. And, you know, I mean, Springsteen fans will tell you um, that, like, he, he, much like Taylor Swift and a lot of these people, I'm sure Beyonce as well, I mean, you know, these are, these are good performers and they play even to the cheap seats. So, like, the side of stage for, for Bruce is not all that bad. So, no, I've sat side stage for Bruce and it's great because you, exactly what he says, you, in have the to go to Tulsa. you see right in, you see right into the band. There's no weirdness. There's so many great people in the E Street band that you're like, yeah, get to get to like look at them and see what they're doing. Look at Bruce's butt a lot. Like there are <laughs> benefits to side stage. So I really loved him hyping that up because I'm a big side stage gal. Yeah, it's like maybe we should all you know, I guess relocate to, to Tulsa and then we can <laughs> see these shows. Come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you have any tips have you come across anything that has been revealing on how to acquire a decent ticket and or like when to wait until buying a ticket? Other than moving to Tulsa? Uh, Other um, than moving no, to I mean, Tulsa? No, that is a good, that is a good question because you're right. Like, it, it, I guess one thing we've seen, the Taylor Swift situation was pretty unique in, in that everything went on sale like all at once. Or I'm sure there, there probably were holdbacks for that too, but all the markets were all at once. So that was kind of what made that partially so chaotic. But, you know, you've seen with that and like the Beyonce that there are 
more tickets available. So maybe don't give in to mm-hmm. that um, scarcity, that initial scarcity. I do think that part of it too is just a shift in how people are going to think about these big pop spectacles and and how much effort and energy they're putting into it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm from Ohio and I, I knew so many girls and gays that went back to Ohio to mm-hmm. see the Taylor Swift tour mm-hmm. In a smaller market and go with like old friends and stuff like that. And I know part of that was like it was just easier to get yeah. it. And um, I, I think that I don't want to say that this travel trend around like marquee concert tours is like going to keep escalating. But it, it's an interesting idea to me because it's obviously more money. You know, it's more money on top of the ticket and we're talking about the problem of it being inaccessible. Yeah. So I, I'm like, one of the solutions is to travel and spend more money to get to have a better chance at getting a good seat for like not nine thousand dollars. But if it's like your Which vacation, not, you know, it makes yeah. it makes makes sense kind of in a way, you know. But Jill and I have talked a little bit about if we are spending this money and effort and time, it better be worth it. <laughs> You know, Um, but I do feel like the culture around concert going has shifted into being an a capital E event, which is like get your outfit, get your crew. What are you doing the day before the day after? What's your play? Like it is a different experience now than it used to be. The one thing I will say, and once you spend all this money, like nobody's going to be critical, you know, as we're pitched for it. Like if, <laughs> if you if you, you you are committed, like if you're like, oh, I, actually, it wasn't that great. Like then you were a fool. Yeah. You'll feel like, you know, then you're, then you're telling everybody that I was a fool for spending all this money. I mean, I remember reading articles like 20 years ago that like Broadway was super expensive. So you, you couldn't afford to go and, and like not just like force yourself to have a good time. And that's honestly <laughs> where uh, concert tickets are now. I literally canceled a trip that I was intending to go on with friends for three days and instead bought a Beyonce ticket. Like that is, it, it is, Mark, it's a, my vacation. Right. Yeah. Well, well, let's talk about solutions. Let's be hopeful here as we constantly, I mean, this is literally all we talk about is the problem with ticketing. What are you seeing as signs of hope and progress so, yeah, I mean, so the, the first thing is that Taylor Swift situation. I mean, like that exact situation will likely not happen again because part of it is that she didn't stagger her sales across different cities, you know, at different markets. So um, when you look at the Beyonce tour already, it wasn't the same kind of chaos in part because it wasn't just the entire world or whatever, the entire country on one day. Um, so that's that's great. Um, the other thing is, um, you know, with the all the Ticketmaster fees that we've all been complaining about for a long time that just keep piling up all the additional added fees on top of the face value, She'll wear some of the random charts. Facilities, facilities fee. fee. Thank uh, you. Yeah. There's like a the live music fee <laughs> was one. In some places, you're like, wait, what? Yeah, wearing I a t-shirt. These fee. were built for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bathroom fee. Wait. So I want to be clear because we've talked about this, yeah. but like they can't have any fees. No, no, no. So it's not that. What, what's happening with that is like um, basically the Biden administration. Um, one of their main issues this year has been what they call junk fees, and that's just in general. I mean, like just just recently they were talking about junk fees. 
applying to like rentals or something. So um, it's kind of across the economy, but they did specifically call out um, you know the ticketing industry. So uh, this summer, Ticketmaster uh, and you know I believe StubHub and, and some of those um, all said kind of preemptively, we're going to start disclosing um, these fees. So it'll, it'll you'll be able to see what mm-hmm. the all-in, as they say, uh, price is, like what the total is that you'll pay. That hasn't happened quite yet, so we'll have to wait and see how that looks. But at least having some transparency, I mean, that's not going to solve all these problems, but like it'll feel a little better to at least know what I'm paying and to not be like, oh, those jerks are adding an extra fee on this and I can't do anything about it. Yeah, but I have to wonder, too, if that's just going to get folded into like higher costs by the ne- in the next cycle of setting prices, you know? like Yeah, well, it remains to be seen how they'll do it, but if they break it down clearly and say, okay, here's the face value, here's what's going to go to artists, and then, you know, here is, like, these other fees. But it is still at least a a baby step that, like, you know, something that they probably didn't want to do. I mean, and then you also, like, you've got folks calling for the the breakup of of Live Nation and Ticketmaster to unwind that merger. I mean, I don't know if that's something that's realistic, given there's already been a lot of checks on uh, the FTC's power, the Federal Trade Commission uh, recently, that the courts have been shooting down a lot of what they've been trying to do. But, you know, there's that DOJ investigation going on. I mean, we'll see what happens. And then um, there's, yeah, a lot of uh, legislation, a lot of laws, or a lot of bills, rather, in states and also, you know, in Washington, of different ways to kind of address these various problems. And there's no one solution that addresses all of the problems. As we've seen, it's kind of easy for like it to sound like it'll be good, but it actually benefits, you know, the resellers who are part of, can, mm-hmm. you know, part of the, the problem, the high prices. Um, I mean, yeah, ticket, Ticketmaster and the resellers can both be part of the problem, you know. Uh, what did Taylor right. Swift say? It's, you know, I, I'm the problem. It's me, you know. I'm not, I'm not big on Taylor yeah, Swift quotes. Yeah, it's me. Hi, yeah, I'm yeah. the problem. Yeah, it's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Is this the part where I sing the bad yeah. one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now we got bad. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's all I was fumbling with quotes for. Yes. And then, um, like, so ideally... Um, ideally, one of the steps would be to keep resellers in check, uh, so, you know, to, to rein in that market somehow. There's something called speculative tickets, which is tickets that they list for sale, the resellers list for sale before they actually even own them. Um, and so, an, an easy step would be to ban that. You know, you could you could try to cap resale prices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, artists need to have more say. Yes. And, yes. and like 100%. when we were at the Grammys, Pooja, like in in the in the press room where I was, um, the thing I got to see was uh, Jack Anton was there and he was super um, eloquent and erudite about tickets and, and he emphasized that with that dynamic pricing he was like make sure that artists are able to opt out of it you know if they don't yeah. want that yeah they shouldn't have to so I thought that was cool I will say Robert Smith of the yes, Cure is a big one mm-hmm. that he got Ticketmaster to refund unduly high fees after there was like a ton of fans that were angry I mean God bless Robert Smith what shout a, out Robert Smith what a lovable weird Robert Smith we still want to interview you about <laughs> yes, this let's talk, let's come talk. on this podcast challenge <laughs> um, that was great I, I really agree with Mark like I, I guess is uh, to get give you a sense like I don't have much faith in the government generally I would say I am I am a little bit of an anarchist at this point <laughs> but at the, but, uh, you know, artists, like, I feel for artists that they're put in this position, but if you are, like, the highest level, the highest nth, like, Taylor Swift says something and things happen. You know, even Robert Smith says something and things happen. So I do want artists that are influential at whatever level 
to feel like they can they can say something. I'm not talking about the people that are in vans scrounging up the gas no, money, yeah, being yeah. very frustrated yeah. at how all these mid-sized venues that they're opening on are owned by Live Nation right, and they have to yeah. deal with all this stuff. I'm talking about the people who make the calls. Like saying something is still valid. To close things out, who is the artist that you have spent the most money to see? I mean, I know my, I just told you my answer, so. I mean, you know me, it probably was John Mayer back in the day, but I don't know about that. Oh, because like, yes, it was. Because, like, I went, so, I mean, it was traveling. Like, it was it was not telling my parents and going to Atlanta to see him in, like, 2001 or whatever, early 2002 in the park, you know, as this big, there's a free show, though. But uh, but the, the, the traveling, and well, I don't know, but see, even then, like, that just would have been, like, gas money and, like, splitting a hotel. And then we did see him in Montgomery, Alabama after that, so maybe that was expensive. But, like, the stuff didn't cost a lot of money back then okay lady gaga last summer new jersey metlife stadium we were like not nosebleeds but like not floor somewhere in the middle and i'm pretty sure that was like 150 up upwards like it was like with fees and stuff mm-hmm. I, my thing is i just don't think that i would probably pay over 200 dollars. like yeah it's it's like a weird thing where i feel like a bad fan but then i'm also like I see a lot of live music and I just don't want to submit to this ridiculous system. Right, yeah. Like I don't want to support Ticketmaster. I don't want to like pay these prices. And like, I know I'm missing out on art, but they have so much visual media too. Yeah. That you can yeah. experience so many of these things and not miss out on it in a little bit to know what's going on. Totally. You know what I mean? Obviously it's not the same thing, but I mean, go to Pitchfork music festival and you'll see 40 acts for the price of like a nosebleed Taylor Swift ticket. Okay, I'm gonna save us from ourselves and cut us off here. But yeah. <laughs> Mark and Jill, thank you so much for being here. And yeah, thanks for having us. I can't wait to continue this conversation offline forever, forever <laughs> until the end of time. Now we got bad blood. Okay. <laughs> The Pitchfork Review is a production of Condé Nast. Catherine Fenelosa at Rococo Punch is our senior producer. James Trout at Rococo Punch is our technical producer. Brian Domble is our showrunner. And Jessica Gramulia is our music supervisor. I'm Pooja Patel. Thanks for listening.